Good morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 24 through 36. Georgia fans, do you want to talk about it? No? Oh, we have some. They just may not admit it today. They're here amongst us. Luke chapter 11, verse 24. Dogma, dogs, and doctrine. In Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 24, we see that Jesus was going around the Galilee area doing miracles that no man can do, only God could do. And look what happens in verse 24 of Luke chapter 11. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Verse 29, the sign of Jonah. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays give you light. Wow. Now we have to sort all this out. Good news is we don't have to do it alone. The Lord gives us His Spirit to help reveal His will. So who has ears to hear? Let them hear what the Spirit says this morning. Last week we saw that Jesus cast out a demon. And you remember the crowd. The Pharisees, one group, said what? They said, oh, this, he uses the power of Beelzebub. Another crowd, uh, another part of the crowd says, well, he doesn't do that, but, but God, show us a sign. So you had these two crowds, and people, people came to see the show, 
But there were not a lot of people in the crowd that wanted to follow the Lord. You see, there's a difference between a fan of the Lord and a follower. There's a lot of people here in the South that are fans, fans of Jesus. Man, yeah, we, we love the Lord, and, uh, you know, we, we're, we're on board with him. And, but then you never hear him talk about the Lord daily until tragedy strikes. You see, there's a difference between coming for a show and trying to be curious about what God's going to do and then actually taking up your cross and following the Lord. There's four truths I'd like to share with you this morning from this passage. Number one, devoted Christians are not complacent. Did you know that? Devoted Christians are not complacent. Verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. Jesus is referencing whenever he casts out a demon out of a person, that they must replace that demon with the spirit of Almighty God. They must repent and put faith in the Lord and be saved. And if they do not, what the Lord is teaching here is that that person's going to be worse off than before. How many people have just had a temporary, they felt conviction and just uh, made a little decision or had some bubblies, but there was never really a decision to take up their cross and to follow the Lord. There was never a decision to lay down their life and to follow the Lord, to lose their life and to take up the Lord's. And that's what the Lord is saying. The number seven is the totality of evil. I think of Adolf Hitler, who was, I believe, demon-possessed by more than one demon. So Jesus can cast out a demon in a person, but it's that person's choice to choose that day whom they will follow. So he's, he's saying that some people need to continue in faith. Dogma. What's that word? What's well, a point of view or a tenet that's put forth as authoritative and it's non-negotiable without adequate grounds. It's, it's uh, the main adversaries in Galilee. Anybody know who they were? Jesus' adversaries? They were those Pharisees. They had knowledge about the law and tradition, yet they, were, they scrutinized Jesus at every turn. They didn't come to worship the Lord. They came to try to trick him, to catch him. You see, the law of Moses, the Torah in the Old Testament, the Pharisees knew it frontwards and backwards. And then there was something that they made up. Uh, and it had a good purpose at first, was try to keep people, kind of build a fence outside of that wall to try to make sure no one broke the law of God. And they created the Mishnah. It was an oral tradition. Man-made rules created to build a fence around the Mosaic law. So that was their goal, but real quick, they began to say that their man-made laws were God's laws. They just made up stuff. To make everybody else feel spiritually lesser and to put themselves on a pedestal. And the Lord wasn't having any of it. It broke his heart and he called them out. And so they hated his guts. They didn't like him because he was destroying their hierarchy. Legalism. What is legalism? It's the conviction that law keeping is the way to find acceptance with God. There's a lot of people today in the Baptist church in the Catholic Church, in the Methodist Church, in the Presbyterian Church, that believes these things, that if you keep the law, that's how you find acceptance with God Almighty. 
A Pharisee would say today, if you said, hey, Pharisee, what do I need to do to be right with God? That Pharisee would say, do these things, perform these things. And sadly, many people here today in the first service are believing that lie straight from hell. That if I do these things, perform these things, that God will accept me. Friend, can I tell you something? Just one sin, just one little sin, compared to the holiness and the weight and the glory of God, will separate you from God Almighty for eternity. So it's not your good works and my good works that we need to put our hope in this morning. We don't have to. That's why we have Christmas. That's why we have Emmanuel. Jesus came to do something about our problem. He said he was going to come. He promised he was going to come. And he came. They expected him to come riding on a horse. He came riding on a donkey. They expected him to come with missiles and fireworks. And he came to make himself a babe lying in a manger to a family who really wasn't America's MVP family. Just some ragtag people from a small village on the backside of nowhere. This is how God works. So made today, you not put your hope in your own effort of trying to appease the Lord. You say, well, me and God have this thing worked out. We have our own kind of relationship. Friend, God is holy, and he writes the rules. He, he calls the shots. We don't get to define the terms. Legalism is denounced in the Bible. You say, where is that? Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being, no human being. Nobody, no matter what they've attained in this life, how many people know their name, where they come from, who their parents are, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It doesn't get any more plain than that. No human will be justified by works of the law in God's sight. You say, well, the church I grew up in, I heard if you do all these things. No, friend, that was unbiblical if they told you that. Romans 3, 28. For we hold that, no, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You say, Pastor, that's just two verses. Let me give you another one. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Rich emphasized faith earlier. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. So how are we justified this morning? By faith in Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again just as he said he was, and has overcome death, hell, and the grave to give us life. Do you stand amazed with the Lord this morning, what he has done in your life? Maybe you say, I don't really believe in the Lord today. I've got a lot of questions. Friend, you bring those questions straight to him, and you keep asking them. To not ask the questions, to not seek the Lord, it'd be a grave mistake. The Bible says that whoever seeks the Lord will be found by him. John Piper says, a failure to be humbled and broken and amazed and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. These are all the kinds of attitudes pride, demandingness, lack of mercy, lack of compassion, unkindness, impatience, and these have their root in a heart that's not stunned by grace, not broken and humbled, not filled joyfully with the grace of God, and that creates a legalistic spirit. Legalism is not just a conviction that we get right with God by keeping the law, but it's an attitude, a spirit. 
a disposition of all kinds that fail to be amazed by the grace of God. Do you stand amazed today in the presence of the Nazarene? I mean, really. Do you wonder how he could love you, a sinner, condemned unclean? How marvelous, how wonderful is the Lord and his love for us. Second truth I'd like to share with you this morning from this passage is that devoted Christians cherish the word of God. They cherish the word of God. Look at verse 27. He said these things, a woman in the crowd, she raised her voice and she said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast of which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and what church? Keep it. Keep it. It's like, uh, do you remember we studied the different types of soils that the word of God can fall on? Do you remember that? Some of you were here. We talked about that our hearts can be good soil or it can be rocky soil. It can be ready to be to, to receive the seed or it cannot be. And sadly, many times we prepare ourselves more for Christmas, more for a football game, more for all these other things we spend time preparing for than to hear the Word of God. And the Lord says, whoever keeps the Word of God. So a devoted believer cherishes the Word of God. If you're all in with the Great Commission to follow the Lord, you are going to cherish this Word. Now there's going to be seasons where you put it down where you're not in it like you should be. And I learned something a long time ago in seminary. I, I used to get so convicted for, I mean, I go weeks at a time without being in the Word, and the devil just beat me up over that. And a seminary professor just set me free. He said, told our class, he said, guys, whenever you, you don't spend time in the Word, don't beat yourself up. The Lord's not yelling at you. Just come back to Him. He just wants you to come back. Maybe today you need to just say, Lord, I want to come back. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes doing things you don't want to do. Hear the word and to keep it. The word keep there is philoso. It comes from a military word for watchman. It means to continue to obey orders. It means to follow, watch, guard. And our minds, our hearts is like good soil. We receive it. We hold on to it. We cherish it. We apply it. Not hearers only, but doers of the word. The Lord said last week to us, he who gathers with me. He said, if you don't gather with me, what? You're against me. So this morning, you're either gathering. What are we gathering? We're gathering people. Great commission. Those are our marching orders. If you're not on board with gathering people to the Lord, then you are against God Almighty. Think about that. If you are not today, sometime in your week, focused on, God's mission to redeem all peoples, then the Bible says, Jesus, his own word says, that you are against me. Wow, that's strong, strong words. So you're a part of the work to gather people, or your focus this morning is on something else. That's the flat out truth, isn't it? Our, our focus is on joining God and gathering people, or our focus is either on work Stuff or entertainment. Gather or cadaver. Cadaver is a dead body. Gather or cadaver. That might be a bad illustration. That just came to my mind. Gather or cadaver. You're either walking with Jesus inside of you or you're a walking dead person. 
Do you cherish the Word of God? Some years ago, we were in Asia. I was leading a group of college students over there. I myself was finishing college. I don't know what I was thinking or what the people thought, the people who let their children, uh, their kids go with me. But we went, about 12 of us, and uh, we went and we met these back to Jerusalem missionaries, 18 years old. And this young lady was going from Genesis to Revelation, practicing walking people through the redemption story of the Bible. And we were just am- And she had to do it in English, by the way, because English is a spoken all over the world, many countries. And so we were listening, and we're supposed to be helping encourage her, and she goes through the whole thing in an hour. I mean, the whole Bible, she just swept through in one hour. It's incredible. And towards the end, she just began to weep. And we said, whoa, you did a great job. I mean, great job. And she, she said, no, there's, there's some verses that I forgot that I, I could not quote right. And, and I... I said, you, you know more of the Bible than I do by far. And she said, you don't understand. If I get thrown in prison for my faith, all of the Word of God that I will have with me is what I treasure in my heart. It's what I memorize. Just she began to weep. That's a devoted believer that cherishes the Word of God. You either love it or hate, or you hate it. It's like that Jesus song comes on on the radio when you're like, I wasn't even looking for the Christian stations and you're not right with the Lord. I mean, he's coming after you. You've been there, haven't you? You hear, oh, I don't want to hear that. It's the grace of God pursuing your life. And he's here today and he's pursuing some people. Third truth I'd like to share this morning is this. Devoted Christians champion the name of Jesus. Champion the name of Jesus. Look in verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. For the Ninevites, do you remember all those people? They were wicked. They had problems. They hated the Lord. They hated gospel music. They hated Christians. And Jonah, God sent Jonah to go take the, tell them to repent. Jonah didn't want to go. He couldn't stand the Ninevites. He despised them. Jonah knew if the Ninevites would repent, God would forgive them. And Jonah didn't want that to happen. He wanted them to pay because they were so wicked and so evil. Jonah was a picture to the Ninevites. His preaching, it was a sign, a sign that if they do not repent, then judgment will come. And Jesus is saying here that he is the sign of Jonah to this generation here in Luke chapter 11. And he today is the sign of Jonah. Right? He is today. When you hear the name of Jesus, it either sets you free or you growl like a dog. You've seen people do that before? You mention Jesus and they just start growling. Their whole face just gets twisted up. They, they get bitter and they hate the name of the Lord. Why? Because of their sin, most often. Because they're not right with the Lord. Do you remember a few years ago, Target, uh, the Target, you know, the, uh, what is this, the store? Now, I don't like Target because they don't have gunpowder, but my, my wife likes it a lot. And, uh, don't think she's a heathen. I've been talking to her, and she just can't get over it. We're working on it. But uh, 
their shopping carts are about the best thing they got going for them. Those things are awesome. They're like Cadillacs. But you remember when they came out some years ago about the war on Christmas? Now, they didn't say it was a war on Christmas, but they started a war is what they did. Uh, <laughs> I have a youth pastor friend that he, he took the church van, and they put Merry Christmas all over it, and they drove to Target and just drove around the parking lot all day. <laughs> and people either loved it or they hated it. And he said 90% of the people, probably because we're in Mississippi, they loved it. I mean, they were just enthusiastic and encouraging, and, but 10% hated it. And that's like the Lord. That's like the name of Jesus. You're either going to champion the name of Jesus or you're going to hate him. It's just the flat-out truth. Another example. When I was in college, I served at a restaurant and I had a... Anybody ever been a server in a restaurant? You can't please people. You figure that out quick. I had a stamp and that said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. And so one day I stamped that ticket. Most of the time, people would just... People would begin to weep and pray. They said, can you pray with us? And I mean, just amazing the conversations that would happen... But then a few times, people got real upset about it. They let me know about it, too. And so one time, this gentleman goes to my manager. His name was Bob. And Bob said, Brett, you got to stop stamp doing this stamp. Well, I knew I was getting ready to go on summer missions. It was going to quit eventually anyways, so I just didn't stop. Well, then a the second time, somebody else got upset. I said, Brett, you're going to get fired if you don't stop doing this. This is the last time I'm telling Okay, I didn't stop. Third time, I never stopped. Never got fired by the grace of God. But this one man, he says, what if I don't believe this, what's on this paper? I says, sir, you don't have to believe it. But I want you to know that God loves you. And he walked out of that restaurant. He was mad, growled like a dog. And I just wanted to, to hug him on the way out, but I didn't. George Whitfield, the famous preacher, 1700s. It was a hardened unbeliever went one day to see, not to hear, but went to see George Whitfield. And so he went to find a good view, and there were no microphones in that day, and he, he climbed up in a tree, kind of like Zacchaeus. And he put his fingers in both of his ears and began to watch this mighty man of God preach. Then a persistent little fly landed on his nose. He tried to get that fly off. He couldn't shake him. And finally, he had to take his finger out of his ear and swipe that fly. And when he did, Whitfield quoted this verse. It says, he that has ears, let him hear. Matthew chapter 11, verse 15. And then George Whitfield spoke of the willful refusal of many people to, to not hear the Spirit's voice. This unbeliever was so impressed by what happened, he not only opened his ears to the gospel, but his heart. He became a believer, a follower of Jesus. You see, God understands your broken heart. He understands your confusion and your questions. He meets you there today. He's in the house. He wants to work in your life. Fourth and final truth from this passage. 
Devoted Christians color their world with light. Look at verse 33. The Lord says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, that those who enter may see it. Your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. When it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp when its rays gives you light. Are you coloring your world with light? Not just like some good southern hospitality, good works, and smiling at people, although that's good, that can make a huge difference. Not just treating people like you want to be treated, but I'm talking about letting the light of God Almighty shine through you. Are you coloring your world with that kind of light? Is your purpose to shine the light of the sun? Are you fulfilling that purpose? When people meet you, do they come in contact with Jesus inside of you? Or do they just walk away impressed with who you are? Do they come in contact with the God who loves them? I'd like to tell you quickly as we get ready to close about a gentleman by the name of Henry Martin. By the way, we're taking donations for a new microphone pack because that thing's driving me crazy. Henry Martin, he planned to study law. He goes to college, he goes to Cambridge, and he... He was top of, graduated Cambridge, top of his class. He met a young lady by the name of Lydia, fell in love. They went on a few dates, went strolling by the water, and, and, and they loved each other. And young Henry begins to tell Lydia that God's called him to become a missionary. She was confused. Top of his class, Cambridge. What are you thinking, man? This guy's crazy. I'm not going to marry this guy. So they didn't get married. You see, young Henry Martin began to hear the stories about William Carey. This is in the late 1700s. And he read about David Brannard, missionary to Native Americans. And he heard about people, waves of people coming to know Christ. And he said this, I feel pressed in spirit to do something for God. I have lived, up until now, a little purpose. More like a clod than a servant of God. Now, let me burn out for God. Let me burn out for God. So he gets on a ship, leaves his woman behind, leaves his family behind. He said on that ship, sailing for India, he says, my feelings were those of a man who should be suddenly be told that every friend he had in the world was dead. You think it's easy following the Lord? Once he made it to India, he met William Carey, the father of modern missions. Carey was so impressed with this young missionary. The next few years, Henry Martin, he translated the New Testament and the Anglican Book of Common Prayer into Hindi. Hindi today is spoken by over 400 million people. There's only 300 million approximately in the United States. It's a lot of people. Henry translated the scripture into this language. Next, he translated... Excuse me. I have a sinus infection. I'm not complaining, but if I sound like snuffleupagus to you, that's why. And Pastor James also has one. So both of us together, we're like two peas in a pod this morning. 
And after he translated this, he translated the, the courts in northern India, they used, uh, they spoke Persian, an Arabic lang- language. And so he was, he, he believed that so much of that language was spoken in Iran and all over the Middle East. And so young Henry was burdened. And so he, he began to translate the entire New Testament and the book of Psalms. Have you read all through the book of Psalms? It's a lot. And the entire book of Psalms into Persian, which is modern day today, Farsi, which is spoken well by well over 100 million people. Then he spent a year in Iran revising his translation. And then traveling back to England, he died on the way home at the age of 31. 31. He passed away. He really burned out for God. What about you? I was reading about this man. I thought, wow, such a short time. He accomplished so much for the Lord. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have technology. He didn't have a car. He didn't have an airplane. How can one person accomplish so much? Because he was all in. Because it wasn't he that was doing the work. He was totally surrendered to the Lord, working through his life. Devoted believers color their world with light. The question today is, are you a devoted believer? If you're not, God's here in the house, and he wants to meet you where you are. He wants you to come. If you never made a decision to put your faith in Jesus, today's the day. You can simply come by faith and receive him to be your Lord, to be your Savior. Call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, if you call on him, he'll save you. He'll do what you cannot do. So you come today, if that's you. We've had several Sundays in a row, people coming to Christ. Maybe this is going to continue. Maybe another person today will come and receive the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you know that you made that decision. Maybe you were in college. Maybe you were at home. Maybe you were driving down the road one day when the Lord saved you and changed your life. Maybe it was at a revival meeting when you were a little kid and you heard the gospel and you were under conviction and you called upon. Maybe it was at at camp. That was when you received Christ. And you know that today, you're kind of like that demon-possessed man that didn't replace what God did in his life with something good. You didn't cling to the Word of God, and maybe you've strayed a little bit. Today, God's not yelling at you, friend. He wants you to come back home. You come back home today as the Spirit of God draws you. You say, what about all the stuff? What about all of my sin? Friend, the blood of Jesus, just one drop, will cover you for all eternity. It's holy. God's very own blood was shed on that cross for you. And the cross is a stumbling block. It's offensive. The gospel is offensive because it says you have a problem. It says I have a problem. And today we can come and receive the grace of God. You respond during this invitation. Father, we give you these moments.